Hey, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Dave Pash Podcast. I'm your host, ESPN and Cardinals broadcaster Dave Pash. What a game on Sunday in Las Vegas. An incredible finish, hopefully a springboard to returning to early season 2021 form as the Cardinals welcome the defending champs, the Rams, to town this Sunday. We're going to talk about that game. We're going to talk about the miraculous win for Arizona on Sunday with Kevin Clark, senior football writer and podcaster at The Ringer. He's the host of the Slow News Day video podcast. He's great to talk about for NFL, for college football, and he was, like us, in shock over what we saw Sunday in Vegas, and in particular, what Kyler Murray did against the Raiders. When you see a comeback like that, you understand how valuable Kyler Murray is to the franchise and how much he can do on a game-to-game basis to where not only is no game out of reach, but no play is out of reach. That's a special talent. Kevin will also talk about the 49ers, his thoughts on Jimmy Garoppolo and what this means for Cardinal fans and other teams in the NFC. He'll break down the Packers and some of the other teams in the NFL. We'll also talk about what's going on at Arizona State with the departure of Herm Edwards and who could be next as the head coach of the Sun Devils. We are presented by BetMGM, the official sports betting partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and by Gila River Resorts and Casinos. Get ready for a football season like never before with BetMGM, an official partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Sign up today using code CARDS1000 and get your first bet risk-free up to $1,000. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 and over, Arizona only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. All right, now let's hear from our guest from The Ringer, Kevin Clark. Well, Kevin, first of all, you have a hard act to follow because our guest last week, Damian Lillard of the Portland Trailblazers, brought the Cardinals wow. some incredible luck. If you can top this, and or maybe let's have it so there's no need for the comeback, we'll just take a big win over the Rams <laughs> this Sunday. Does that work? That's a big one. Um, the Rams are a lot better team than, than the Raiders, but uh, no, that's, uh, I'm, I'm – I'm happy to bring the juice and happy to bring the luck uh, to Arizona. So this is the first time you and I have actually talked. I think yeah. I don't believe we have met, but I'm a I big so. I'm a big fan. You do a great job. I re- that's one of the reasons I want to have you on. I really enjoy your work, whether it's your columns or the podcasting. All the stuff you do uh, is great, and you got like 125,000 followers, so you have quite the following on social media. And I've heard you on other platforms. Tell our listeners, primarily most of the people listening are Cardinal fans, so yeah. tell our listeners a little bit about your background and how you got to where you are, because I think you're only in your early or mid-30s. You graduated from Miami, yeah. right, in 2010? I did. Yep, yep. So uh, I work at a company called The Ringer. We're owned by Spotify, and, and that means we kind of do everything, Dave, as you know. I, I guess we all do everything now uh, in media. Nobody's just a writer. Nobody's just a podcaster or a broadcaster. Um, and so I, I started at the Wall Street Journal uh, right out of college, wrote a bunch on the Cardinals, um, especially during the Bruce Arian days. Uh, you know, I, well, I was fat. The first time I ever went there, I remember, Dave, I don't know if you were around for it, but uh, it was when they had – so Bruce had got had Tom Moore on staff, and he'd had a, he had a defensive line coach who had coached in Super Bowl One. This is 2013, Okay. And, and so, so Bruce had assembled all of these guys um, who just, you know, he wanted them to mentor 
his younger coaches. Um, you think about all the all the the great talent on that staff back then. Um, in, in the, kind of the first mini run of the Cardinals at the, at the beginning of the last decade. Um, and so I, I, I worked at the Wall Street Journal and then uh, got hired by the Ringer. And I just I just kind of cover the league as a whole, um, you know, and it's, it's as fun as anything uh, because there's so many different ways to podcast, videocast. Do, you know, we're going to have Scott Van Pelt on my, my video show tomorrow. Like, it is such a cool era for media because you can kind of create whatever – and you have athletes like Kyler Murray who get it on all platforms and, and, and are interesting, and uh, it, it's just a fascinating time in the media. Well, you mentioned uh, the staff that B.A. put together when he got here. This is my 21st year, so I've seen quite a few coaches come through yeah. here. When I got here, Mean Joe Green was an assistant on the staff. <laughs> and, and the following year, Emmett Smith was an Arizona wow. Cardinal. I mean, people forget yeah. that Emmett was here with the Cardinals. Um, so you're, you're doing – Mostly NFL, but I do see you tweeting on college sports as yeah. well. So I, I want to hit on that, especially with locally anyway here, the news with Arizona State. Yeah. I just happen to be doing Arizona State-Utah this Saturday, so a lot going on there, a lot to talk about, obviously, with Herm Edwards being let go to, or, or or not let go, depending on how you read the uh, press release, right? Uh, we've got yeah. a, we've, I, I, I think we have a pretty good idea what happened there. Yeah, me too. But we've got to figure that out and parse through it all at ESPN to make sure we you know say it the right way journalistically on Saturday night. What were your thoughts, though, when you're watching the game on Sunday? First of all, what were your thoughts at halftime when it was 20 to nothing? Yeah. Because my thoughts were, my goodness, this feels like last week, which feels like last year, which feels like a losing season. Uh, I think you know, Dave, you've been around the team for two decades. You can lose the season pretty easily. And I think I'm staring at that. And I, I watched that, that, that first half pretty closely because I just wanted to see how they played Devontae Adams. Which, by the way, they did uh, actually a nicer job than the Chargers did uh, a week before on a lot of those Devontae Adams routes. But um, I was watching that game, and when I thought it was 20 nothing, I just started to say, here we go again, which I'm sure a lot of Cardinals fans thought. Maybe some of the players, maybe the staff, maybe the front office. I mean, there, there's just a. Um, I feel like there was there was a, a way that game could have gone that would have created a lot of pessimism. And the good news is, the the comeback was frankly astounding to the point that you see what Kyler Murray is capable of. And and when you get the type of contract Kyler has gotten, you know, one of the things that I I always uh, wonder, and I don't think you know, you think about all all of the huge mega contracts. Um, they're going around with quarterbacks now. Not all of them create value. Some of them are just like good enough to play quarterback and, you know, and we're going to give him $25 million a year, $30 million a year because he's there, right? You're kind of stuck there. I mean, that was always the, the kind of Andy Dalton problem, right, in Cincinnati, which is you got to pay a guy $25 million to eat up the cap when maybe you should have just rolled it over and, and gotten a rookie contract or, or a quarterback, you know, going forward. So, when you see a comeback like that, and I, I didn't ever think Tyler was in that bucket, but when you see a comeback like that, you understand how valuable Kyler Murray is to the franchise and how much he can do on a game-to-game -game basis to where not only is no game out of reach, but no play is out of reach. I mean, how many, game, how many plays in the game yesterday did you see and say, okay, well, this one's over, and then Kyler made it happen? Um, that's a special talent. And, and, and I don't – listen, I, I don't think he's ready to be a – kind of top 10, you know, Super Bowl level talent. But he, 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 the path is a lot shorter 
than people think. Um, and, and I think that there's been an extremely weird narrative around him, um, especially since the second half of last season. But I think we're starting to see, and, and if you didn't think this, you do now, uh, Kyler is, is a special, special guy who's worth the money and, and worth the attention he got when, when he got uh, into this league a few years ago. Dave. So you have on a, a lot of players, coaches. You mentioned you have SVP yeah. on. So you're constantly talking to people that are dialed into the NFL. In your opinion, and do you think that others would share this opinion, uh, did what happened yesterday – is that enough to flip a, a, a season, to flip a franchise? Because it's not just a play that could turn around this season. It can turn around all yeah. the bad narrative from last year as well. I mean, so much of that has to do with this, this week. Because what, what, how, do you, how do you measure up against the Rams, who are not only the class of, of the division, but the class of the NFL? Um, that, to me, is fascinating. There's now a stat I saw. Um, you know, you try, then you have obviously the Panthers after that, the Eagles after that, Seahawks, Saints, but just some winnable games. Um, in that stretch, Dave, there was a stat I saw uh, yesterday that was astounding that, that uh, I think that the Cardinals have won like eight straight games, have won outright eight straight games when they're a road underdog. They're a team that has a mentality that is really fascinating to me. They can go in and win places that maybe other teams can't. And so obviously they've got the home game against the Rams, but then they go on the road a lot in, in October and November against some pretty interesting teams. Um, and I think that they can, they, they were a playoff team a year ago. I, they had the talent to do this. Like I, I, I think that, as I said earlier, the vibes were heading in a bad direction that they lose that game yesterday, but I completely agree with you that just, this is set up for maybe a better season than we thought. And it all comes down to that half. The last time the Cardinals saw the Rams, it was ugly. Uh, I was there, and it was – even though the Cardinals played poorly down the stretch in the regular season, it, it went to another level in the postseason. It was just an outright disaster on a lot of levels. But early last season, the Cardinals, people forget, dominated the Rams. It was one of the worst games the Rams played all year. Aaron Donald was completely shut down. They could do nothing against the Cardinals. Now, again, that was a year ago. So much has changed since then. How do you look at this matchup? Because what I've seen from the Rams so far is similar to last year because the Rams got hot in the postseason. It came mm -hmm. down to week, the final week of the season. The Cardinals had to yeah. lose at home and the Rams had to win for them to win the division. Things might have changed if the Cardinals win that final game of the regular yeah. season. So yeah. do you view the Rams kind of the same or do you think they're better this year than they were in the regular season last year? No, I mean, I, listen, that, that first game with the Rams was, was certainly concerning what I, that, with the Bills. But what I'll say about the Rams is I think that, and this happens a lot of the time, where a team will make a run in January, and exactly what you're saying, we kind of reverse engineer that they were the best team the entire time, as long as they're you know talked about in, in the national media as good and all that stuff and have a good coach, have a good quarterback. And it's interesting because I did a, a piece on Matt LaFleur a couple weeks ago Dave. And one of the things that Sean McVay told Matt LaFleur is that he views the playoffs like March Madness. And what he means by that is it's not the best team that wins. It's the best team that wins over a three-hour space, right? And so he started to engineer, like, how do I max McVay, how do I maximize those three hours? Because it's not about October. It's not about November 5th. It's about January 10th. And so I think the way McVay started to view the postseason helped him last year. I don't think, you know, in the regular season, we saw it. The Cardinals and the Rams were not that far off. 
Um, and so this is about, I think that playoff experience is its own beast. I think that the Cardinals obviously got their, their, their doors blown off um, in, that, in that spot uh, last time they played the Rams. But I think that that just comes from experience, not just just Cliff Kingsbury at the NFL level, but Kyler Murray getting those reps in. I mean, not you have to be a special, special team in order to make a, a, a deep run in the playoffs without any playoff experience. It's a completely different beast, especially with the expanded playoffs. Um, it's just different. And I think a guy like Sean McVay understood that. I mean, by the way, that's why you go out and get Matthew Stafford, because you understand how much talent it takes once you get to the final four, once you get to the final two in the conference. Um, you know, that, that to me is understanding the, the, the barrier for entry. And so a team like the Cardinals, great quarterback, um, a, a, a lot of talent all over the place. What they need to do over the next two or three years to become a Super Bowl team is to do those kind of big swings. But I don't think on any given, on, on, on a week-to-week basis, that there's some huge gap between the Cardinals and the rest of the division. I was like an idiot, Dave, last year when I, I think I went on Cowherd and I, I was just joking about I was like, man, you know, pray for Cliff Kingsbury because he's got that NFC West to deal with. Meanwhile, I didn't know that, the, that they, they had to deal with the Cardinals, you know? Um, and so I've already learned my lesson on that stuff as far as saying, oh, the, you know, the Cardinals can't hang with these teams. They can hang with it. And a lot of it has to do with the quarterback and the roster. You bring up an interesting point about the postseason because we can say all we want that it is different than the regular season. It is its own animal. But until you're in the middle of it, maybe you don't realize that. And that, I think, had a lot to do with what happened last year for a lot of people that are members of the Cardinals. Uh, It's a young roster in 2021. It's Kyler Murray's first postseason game. It's different than college football. It's different than high school, obviously. It's just... You cannot possibly prepare mentally for what that's like. Do you think having gone through that, and then what Kyler did on Sunday, the comeback, there were some games last year and even going back to his rookie year where the Cardinals would come back. But usually the game went how it started. If Kyler played great early on, the Cardinals usually won the game. If the Cardinals struggled offensively early on and got behind, they usually didn't win the game. It feels like they took this big step. So I'm kind of jumping around here talking about the postseason yeah. last year and week two this year, but do you see a correlation maybe to a young quarterback growing so when the opportunity presents itself again, just like it did for Matthew Stafford mm-hmm. after losing those playoff games in Detroit, he's better suited to have success? Yeah, I mean, you think about it, the answer is yes. The big overarching answer is yes. But you think about it, it's so many little things. How do you rest on a playoff week? When do you step on the gas? When do you not? Do you go full – pads Wednesday or Thursday or both, you know, I mean, stuff like that, because, you know, you're, you're, you're basically you know, all the rules reset, all the practice rules, uncharted waters. Are you a veteran team or a young team? There's so many different things. And so I think that, listen, last playoff game for the Cardinals was a complete disaster. The entire national uh, picture looked at that media, whomever, and said, this is bad. Something's got to change. Right. But I do think there's a case to be made kind of like what we're talking about where, it can only go up because they understand what this is about. And they understand a team like the Rams has been there many different times and, and upgraded the talent and, and kind of got above the barrier for entry to be a Super Bowl type team. The Cardinals understand what that looks like. Um, you know, there's been a lot of discussion about the, about the extensions. Obviously they were handed out before the Kyler Murray, um, before the Kyler Murray contract, but at least the Cardinals know 
what they are for the next few years, and then they can go from there. So I think that this structure, making the playoffs, like I do think at some point you're going to break through and make a run because you understand what it's all about, and you got the quarterback to do it. When you look at Sean McVay, in your opinion, what's the secret sauce to his success? Because I've talked to so many people, whether it's coaches or players, former players that played for Sean McVay or current yeah. players that played for Sean McVay when he was an assistant coach. And, and everybody says, we always knew. Uh, we always knew that he was going to have success. And sometimes, you know, you talk to coaches about a particularly successful coach and they'll say, well, Phil Jackson, for example, in the NBA. People say, well, look, he had Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. But still, all those championships, there's something you're doing right besides just having talent. So what do you think it is with Sean McVay? I think a couple things. Number one is that players buy in when they know they're going to make plays and be put in position to win, right? And so that, that, that's number one. Number two is I think there's a leadership element to it that I think goes overlooked. And I think that people just view Sean McVay as this guy in a lab coming up with man beaters. And it's, it's not that. It's not just the plays. It's understanding his roster really well. It's compassion. Um, you know, I mean, like, just, just something as little as uh, I, I, I asked to talk to him for the Mountain Floor piece, and he was on the phone with me 12 hours later. Um, and, and just so excited to talk about Matt. And, you know, one of the funny things was he, he was laying it on a little thick, Dave, where he was saying, you know, I don't I didn't I, I didn't teach Matt anything because I said, hey, hey, did you uh, you know, what did what do you, what did Matt take from you that you now see on the field? And he's like, I didn't I didn't teach Matt anything. He, he taught me, you know, it's that kind of stuff. And there's this there's this compassion. There's this human element um, where he's just like a, just a good person. I think that, that, that that's the read I get from it. The guys want to be around him. Guys want to play for him. Um, and so it all fits together. And I'd also say that he opens up his football world to his assistants. And I think he learned that a little bit from Kyle Shanahan as well. And I think you see the kind of Shanahan McVay tree have success, not just because play action and all that stuff just helps and maximizes your value on a football field. And there's certain concepts that just really work against modern defenses. There's that. But on the other hand, they just understand what it means to be a head coach very early because you've heard stories, you know, Everybody in New England is pretty siloed and they don't necessarily learn everything that Bill Belichick has to offer because of that. The McVeigh tree is that it is way more open, way more honest, I would say amongst the group. And so you're seeing just, it's a different vibe in Los Angeles and, and, and people want to be there. And then once that happens, everything starts to build on itself. You know, Kevin Demoff, who's um, basically their team president without the title said to me one time that, the, the, the best uh, kind of inefficiency or, or the best competitive advantage is the way you put it is winning. Because once you start winning, people just say, hey, I'll actually take the million and a half dollar contract to play here instead of the five million dollar contract to play in Jacksonville, whatever it is. Right. Um, and that's what we're seeing. We're seeing this set up now in Los Angeles where it's becoming a bit of a machine because people are attracted to it and will take less money. And then that just keeps on building. Kevin, looking at some of the other interesting stories in the NFL in the NFC West San Francisco I am yeah. more fearful now of the 49ers that Jimmy Garoppolo yeah. is back under center just because every move that John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan made in the last month and a half screamed we don't trust Trey Lance yeah. and it's unfortunate what happened to him you, you you hate it to see a guy go down like that and lose his whole season 
but I think the 49ers are going to be better because of it, given Jimmy G's previous success. Not saying he's Patrick Mahomes, but this guy's been to a Super Bowl, been to an NFC Championship game. Am I right? Should should Cardinal fans be more fearful of the 49ers right now? 100%. You are correct. I mean, that the entire last month, I mean, bringing Jimmy G even back in the first place, um, all the talk about sort of a, you know, I wouldn't call it locker room dissent because I don't think there was any of that. But there was a report that basically Kyle and John Lynch had asked the, the veterans in the locker room to have trades back um, because they knew how popular Jimmy was. And, and there was, it seemed like there was a, a lot of requests for buy-in when I think people probably knew that the best chance to win in week one or week two was with Jimmy Garoppolo. And so you don't go through that process. You don't go through that learning curve. You don't go through that anything. And now what, you, what you're left with is an NFC championship caliber team. They almost won this time uh, you know, in January uh, last season. And there's nothing they have to press the reset button on. Um, this is a dangerous team with a good coach and a quarterback who knows how to run the offense. Listen, John Lynch was in, uh, or Kyle Shanahan was in uh, Peter King's column today, basically saying, listen, they, they, they've lost their starting quarterback four out of the last six years. Most of the time, that was Jimmy. But if Jimmy can stay healthy, the, the ceiling is really high. It's always been a question of health. And so if he can finish the season, I think it's a, a division contending team. The Green Bay Packers, you just touched on that you had spoken yep. recently with Matt LaFleur, did a piece on him. What, without Devontae Adams, are, are they as good as they were last year? And did you get any insight into why they continue to struggle in the postseason, especially at home? I think they ask themselves that question all the time. I mean, it's so funny because, you know, they haven't been around sports so long. There's so many teams that won three or four championships in a row or made three or four championships in a row and won two of them, where if you just go back six months before the first title, there are all these stories about how they can't win the big one, right, or they can't break through. Like, this happens all the time in sports, and, and it's true until you don't. You know, the, the McVay Rams probably left a, a ring or two on the, on the table if you're just looking at, uh, look at it from 30,000 feet. Um, but I think that with the Packers, at some point, I think this will be the year they will break through. And I don't think they know why they struggle. I think a, couple, a little bit of it is, you know, it's a lot of coaches who are familiar with Matt LaFleur, um, understand the offense. Aaron Rodgers in the cold, he says it's an advantage, but is the play calling – um, and does the offense kind of have that advantage still when it's five degrees or whatever it is? Obviously, the special teams' mistakes last year were unbelievable, um, and they went out and upgraded that. And so Rich Passaccia being there is a huge, huge, huge upgrade in Green Bay. Um, and so I don't know why they struggle. I mean, with Devontae Adams in particular, it's interesting because I think they're going to run the ball more. We saw that last night. LeFleur basically hinted at it when, when we had our long talk. But Aaron Rodgers said he thought that over the course of the season, there's going to be this, a similar amount of targets, a similar amount of passes. And the reason the offense was built around Devontae Adams, he said, is because he was open 80% of the time. So the offense flowed through him 80% of the time. It wasn't like, hey, we have to have all these plays for Devontae. It was more like Devontae is open. It'd be stupid to go to Alan Lazard on the other side. Um, so I think that they have a faith. that Eventually, some of those guys will get open, whether it's Romeo Dobbs, uh, Christian Watson, obviously Alan Lazard is still there, but working through injury. Those guys will get up to speed over the course of the year. And I think, I, frankly, by, by January, I think they're, they're the Super Bowl favorites. Wow. Okay. 
Good stuff on that. I, I'm thankful the Cardinals don't play them this year. Obviously, the game last year was <laughs> phenomenal, but the ending, unfortunate. Cardinals had a chance to win that game. We all remember what happened. You've got yep. the Giants at 2-0 and and the Dolphins at 2-0. and Which team is for real, or is it both or neither? Um, I'd rather, frankly, I would rather be the Dolphins than the Giants right now. On the other hand, for the 2022 season, on the other hand, Anything the Giants do is a pleasant surprise. And what, what I mean by that is I've spent a lot of time reporting around the Buffalo Bills where Joe Shane and Brian Dable came from. They used the first two seasons from a roster standpoint as kind of a wash. And they took, I think after the first season, they took the biggest dead cap charge in the history of football in order to get some of those contracts off the books to start rebuilding. And so one of the reasons I thought that maybe – I wasn't going to pick the Giants this year was because I thought maybe if they don't have expectations, why should I have expectations? The fact that they're having success now suggests that there might be, as long as they hit on the quarterback eventually, kind of a Buffalo-like setup there where they start winning, there's a foundation, and then they start adding the pieces and, and, and kind of doing the retool and the rebuild, whatever you want to call it. So I'd rather be maybe the Giants as a franchise over the next 10 years um, having said that, this Dolphins team is talented. They're a, I, I think they're going to make this year. They're talented. Mike McDaniel is an awesome coach. You can scheme them up. Um, there, there's probably more, I'd say, high-end players in that roster than we give her credit for, I think, because of the last few years with the 2 weirdness and Ryan Fitzpatrick and some of those other problems, um, that there wasn't, you know, like Jalen Waddell and Tyreek Hill are two of the best receivers in football, the line has at least improved to where Tua can, can stand up there. Um, you know, defensive players like Byron Jones, um, Xavier, I mean, you think about even a guy like Javon Holland, like those are top, top tier guys. And so I'm not surprised at all that Mike McDaniel was able to, to, to have this team looking like a 10 win team this early in the season. Any team right now that's struggling that you see turning it around and being in the championship conversation at the end of the year? Or do you think what we've seen through two weeks is going to be what we see for the most part this season? I mean, the Bengals, I don't know what you do with the Bengals right now. And, and, and Lyle Collins looks like, I don't, I don't want to do hyperbole here. He looks like one of the worst players in football. Like he's letting guys, he let Micah Parsons just around him all the time. I know Micah Parsons is one of the best players in football, but he, he couldn't do anything yesterday to the point that I don't know if you saw, but Joe looked at Zach Taylor and said, don't, don't put me in empty anymore, which means basically like give me more blockers. And for a guy like Joe Burrow to say that is really rare. I've spent a lot of time down in Cincinnati and spent time with Joe. He loves getting guys out into a route and he's ready to take an extra hit because of it. The idea that, he would ask for more blockers. I'm, I'm, don't quote me on this, but I, I doubt that's ever happened, frankly. <laughs> when you talk to some of the coaches and you talk to, to Joe Burrow about how much he loves those empty sets. Um, and so I, I, I don't know what you do there, but if that gets fixed, um, the defense is playing well enough uh, that I think that they'll be kind of there in, in mid-January. I just think that you know it's such a huge problem from a franchise standpoint, Dave, if you think you fixed something like the Bengals' offensive line and you didn't, and they invested those resources, and man, it's it can get ugly real fast. Then. So I see you tweeting often about college football. Could probably ask you anything about college football, but again, most of the people listening here are Cardinal fans, so I think everybody's kind of curious what's next for Arizona State. Um, do you have somebody in mind you think that 
Arizona State should look at because everything yeah. I've read, it's a combination of college coaches and NFL coaches, head coaches. Like I don't see anybody yeah. tweeting or writing about you know a current coordinator at another college. It's all yeah. It's like big names too, and I'm not sure that Arizona State's yeah. going to attract that name. Okay, so let's take a step back here. So I, I follow recruiting because I'm from Florida, and that's kind of what we do. Um, and it's interesting because if you look at the, the, the trends, the population trends of the last 10 years, Arizona and I, I, probably North Carolina you'd put in this bucket too, have gotten more blue-chip recruits than a lot of other states. And what I mean by that is it just seems like the number of, of four- and five-stars in Arizona and North Carolina, a little bit of Virginia too – um, that number is increasing because there's a lot of people moving from Los Angeles, a lot of people moving from San Francisco. I mean, I'm sure you see it, you know, weekly um, when, when, when you're in the Valley there. Um, and so I, I think that the, the high school football in Arizona has gotten appreciably better. And I'll, I think pretty much everybody agrees with that in college football. So I think what you do if you're Arizona State is you get a, a God-tier recruiter and just start getting those guys home. And I don't know who that could be necessarily. I mean, Miami solved this problem with Mario Cristobal because, you know, every kid who, who was from Fort Lauderdale or Miami decided to go out and, and go play for Nick Saban or Kirby Smart. That had to stop. I think if you just get the guys who are from the Phoenix area, you're a Pac-12 contender every single year, especially once USC leaves. And so I don't know what that is what that looks like. I would not go with a retread like a Brian Harson type. I saw Dan Mullen linked there today. Dan Mullen didn't want to recruit at Florida. All of a sudden, he's going to want to recruit at Arizona State. Um, I, I would just go out and find the best recruiter available. I wouldn't. I certainly wouldn't go for, for an Urban Meyer type or anything like that. I mean, what about, and listen, let's not speculate on, on jobs that aren't open, but what about a Matt Rule? Um, you know, I don't know if he's going to get I don't know what the biggest job open would be. Uh, maybe he'd be in the mix for, for an Auburn. Um, maybe he'd be in the mix for a Nebraska. But if I'm Arizona State, that's a pretty good option because he can recruit. He has a pretty good eye for talent. Um, and he obviously knows how to develop them once they're on campus. So I think somebody like that would be a, a home run hire if they want to spend the money um, and want to commit the resources. Well, I started hearing last year that Matt Rule wanted to go back to college football. The Cardinals play Carolina yeah. next week. But I started hearing that last year, and maybe it was just because of the situation in Carolina. He didn't believe in the quarterback, and maybe things have changed now that they have Baker. And in terms of Urban Meyer, I actually talked to Urban a couple weeks ago, and first of all, he's no interest in coaching. But yeah. I mean, the, the report or the rumor, whatever it was, about Arizona State being interested – that was the first he had heard of it, so I don't I don't see any shot of that. And to your point, Dan Mullen now is doing television. Uh, you know, you you you're in the SEC for as long as he was in the SEC at Mississippi State in Florida, and now you're doing TV. Boy, it's a lot more comfortable doing that than it is trying to grind and recruit and try to win over a state. But what you said about USC is really interesting. The departure of SC and UCLA to the Big Ten may ultimately be the best thing that happens to Arizona 100%. State. With, with the expanded playoff, are you kidding me? I mean, like, if you – I'm not – listen, there are – I don't think – I don't think at all – and you've seen these arguments, I'm sure you've seen them as well, that, that, okay, well, once Michigan starts making the playoff every year, they'll get better recruits, and all of a sudden they'll close the gap with Georgia. I don't think that's true at all. I think that the Georgia's going to get 
all of the guys who they want in the South that don't go to Alabama and vice versa, right? That's just sort of how it works as long as Kirby and, and Nick Saban are there. But if you're a team like Arizona State, you can close the gap with a lot of teams if you start winning the Pac-12 and start getting into the playoff every single year and a guy from Phoenix decides to go there instead of going to UCLA or USC or Washington or Oregon or any of these places or Texas. I mean, you think about it, I don't know how much you follow recruiting, but Keely Ringo, who had the pick six to win the national championship last year, is from Arizona. And I think in a different era, he would have gone to USC, Texas, somewhere out west if he didn't stay home and go to Arizona State. And so if you just start kind of getting back to more regional recruiting – because you can promise you know, consistent playoff appearances, that changes the entire perspective. And for a team like Arizona State, it only takes one or two recruits to change the entire narrative. Kevin, I appreciate the time. Last thing, you mentioned you got Scott Van Pelt coming up this week on your podcast. What else do you have going on this week and next that uh, we can promote for you? Ooh, um, I'm trying to think. So we have I, – I actually just booked a, a, a former NFL star who's going to come on next week, but it's not 100% confirmed, so I won't say it. Um, Friday we do a picks kind of podcast. So I have a podcast called Slow News Day, and it's a video po- podcast if you have Spotify. Uh, if you're on Apple, it's just a regular old podcast. But Mondays we do an NFL recap um, with Lindsey Jones, uh, who we just hired, who's, who's wonderful. She's moved from the athletic. Uh, Wednesdays will be the SVP thing this week, and then we'll have we had Cowherd on last week as well. And then Fridays we do a one college segment, one pro segment, uh, just to get you ready for the weekend. So that's it. It's called Slow News Day with Kevin Clark, and it's available wherever you get your podcast. Well, this was great, man. I really enjoyed getting a chance to talk to you, Kevin, and hopefully we get to do this in person at some point down the road. Would love it. Holler if you're in New York. Appreciate it, man. Well, as you can see, Kevin is dialed in, not just on the Cardinals, but on all things NFL and college football. Some really good stuff on Arizona State. I wasn't planning really to spend a lot of time there, but I thought what he said about the departure of USC and UCLA to the Big Ten and how that could really transform Arizona State if they find the right head coach, I thought was really interesting. Along with his thoughts on the Cardinals, the Rams, Packers, Niners, and some of the other teams in the NFL that could be in contention to win the Super Bowl. We are presented by BetMGM, the official sports betting partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and by Gila River Resorts and Casinos. You can follow us on Twitter, at PashPod, and please go to your podcast platform and tell us what you think. If there's any guests that you'd love to see us get on in the future, we'd love to hear from you. Thanks again to Kevin Clark from The Ringer. Thanks again to you for listening to another edition of the Dave Pash Podcast.